several years ago as I was learning what it was like to be a professional church worker, I became friends with a couple. We did ministry together, we did life together, we shared meals together, and we battled the very heart of our great enemy, Satan, for the souls of these students who we had been called to serve. Little did I know that Satan, though, would soon turn his attack on us. It came out of the blue. A decision was made that they didn't agree with. Accusations flew, fingers were pointed, and an ultimatum was given to me that I could not accept. And my friends, this couple, decided to not only walk away from fellowship of our congregation, but to sever a relationship. There could be no reconciliation. As a young church worker, I thought to myself, this could not be what Jesus had in mind. Where's the grace? Where's the community? As we think about this sacrament of Holy Communion that the Lord instituted on Monday, Thursday, the true body and blood of Jesus Christ that he tells us to consume, there's really two directions or two movements within this sacrament. The first one is what we would call the vertical direction, the vertical movement where Christ comes down to us. He meets us where we're at, his body and blood given to us for the forgiveness of sins. We call this passive righteousness because we as the receivers, we're passive. There's nothing we can do. God is the active one in this sacrament. God does all the heavy lifting. We simply come to him with hands of faith where the bread and the wine, his body and blood are put in our hands to eat and drink. And in this beautiful hymn that we just sang, you can see the example of this theology playing out. What is this bread? Christ's body risen from the dead. In mouth and soul, he makes us whole. I am forgiven and set free. See, that's the work of Jesus. But there's a second movement or direction in this sacrament, and that's what we would call the horizontal movement. Because we receive this gift, we receive the body and blood of Christ together as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, I'll show you another lyric from this song. What is this bread, Christ's body risen from the dead? This bread we break, this life we take, was crushed to pay for our release. The problem, though, with this community, with us as body or brothers and sisters in Christ together, is that we have such great potential to sin. We have this thing, the sin in our heart that can so easily push us away from true community, that can push us to not like each other, to be at war with each other, even in this community of saints we call the church. And as I think about the Last Supper, I can't help but think what it would have been like for the 12 disciples. They knew Judas so well for three years they had done ministry together. Think of all the things that they had seen and experienced, the trials, but also the joys. And in Judas, our text tells us, betrays Jesus. It would have been a betrayal for the 11 disciples as well. How could our friend, our coworker do this? 
And we see this same type of thing in the larger context of 1 Corinthians, our epistle that was read earlier, the fragileness of the church. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians in a while, I would encourage you to do that, and you will see the most dysfunctional church maybe you've ever heard of. As they gathered for communion together, there was a division going on. Some of the people, those who were in the know, maybe they were the popular ones or the rich ones, they would gather together, they would eat all the bread and go home full, and they would drink all the wine and go home drunk, while the other people, those who didn't have the inside information, would show up for the sacrament. There was no more bread, there was no more wine. They went home hungry. Now, of course, we don't have that same problem, quite the same problem today. You get those little cups as you walk in for communion. Everybody's going home hungry and nobody's going home drunk. (laughs) But as we look at our own heart, we must be very careful that pride doesn't creep in and cause us to believe that somehow we couldn't possibly be capable of the division that we see in the early church because we bring our own messiness, don't we, to the Lord's table, to this community, our own baggage, our own sin. And as I think about the the tenderness of the church, how fragile this community is, I have to ask ourselves, how is it in this past year have we not had any sort of major division? Do you know that right now we still have members of our congregation who are in assisted living homes and Because they have to do a two-week quarantine if they would leave their facility, they still haven't come out. We have members of our congregation who are scared to come out into large groups like this. They're not sure if it's the right thing to do. They don't want to get you sick. They don't want to get themselves sick. And yet we have those of us here tonight in the sanctuary who do come into this church. That in itself could be a source of division let alone the conversations about masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines. Should we even open up the church in the first place? And identity politics and the things that we have in our church that we haven't even addressed, the normal things that people in a church fight about, budgets, worship style, leadership. The church is such a fragile community. How is it that we have not succumbed to this division? What has held us up this past year? Well, again, I want to turn your attention to the stanza in this hymn. It's a very clever play on words from Psalm 22, if you caught it. It's verse 3, where the psalmist David in Psalm 22 cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you not forsaken me? If that's familiar, it's because it's the very, one of the very last words spoken by Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the hymn, the author says this, my God, my God, why have you not forsaken me? And it's in that question, as we ponder tonight, where we will find our answer. As we look at our own sin and confess our own brokenness, me we might cry out to Christ, Jesus, why is it you on the cross when I deserve to be there? You don't deserve to be punished for my sin. It's it's me. Why have you not forsaken me? And the reason is because the body and blood of Jesus Christ was poured out on your behalf, and we receive it by faith 
in this gift, this sacrament of the altar. Well, it had been several years since that incident with my former friends took place. I had almost forgotten about it entirely until one day my wife and I had gone back to this congregation to visit. There was a celebration going on. The church was packed, a small church, but it was packed. And we came in a few minutes late, appropriately Lutheran late. And there's only two seats available for us. And we went in, kind of snuck in, and we sat down kind of the middle of the sanctuary. And as I sat down, I noticed some people's faces and we smiled at each other as we recognized each other, remembering some of those times that we shared as part of life, doing life together as a congregation. And I'm smiling and I'm filled with joy until I turned to my right. And sitting in the pew directly across from us in the aisle were my old friends. And I got very nervous. I got sweaty. Because you see, at our church, we had a problem at that, at that particular church. It was a small church. And as the ushers would let people out for communion, we would gather in the center of the aisle and share the peace with each other and hug and shake hands. It was a time to commune with each other before we came to the Lord's table and communed with the Lord. And I was nervous because I was doing the math and I realized that because of where I was and where they were, we were going to meet each other at the exact same time. I didn't hear a word of the sermon that day, but I learned more about Jesus than any sermon ever taught me. Because as we meet, met each other in the center of the aisle, I wasn't met with anger. I was met with a hug and with tears and with these two words, I'm sorry. And we hugged and we embraced and then we came to the altar and we kneeled together and the assurance of God's grace was poured out upon us that our sins were forgiven, that we could trust in it, and change happened. And the community of God was strengthened and revitalized. That is the power of the sacrament that we're going to celebrate this evening. And as you come to the Lord's table, I do pray that the Lord would meet you where you need him the most, that he would assure you that no matter what, no matter what burden you're bringing in your heart today, that he loves you and that he forgives you anything. But I also want us to do this. As we approach the table, would you look around this room? And those of you who are watching from home, I want you to look around this room and know this, that these empty spaces in the pews, we're saving a seat for you at the table. We can't wait for you to come back and be part of our fellowship and our community when we all will be strengthened, brothers and sisters in Christ, united by the body and blood of Jesus. Who on the night when he was betrayed gave the great mandate of Monday, Thursday, love one another. Amen.